You've tuned in to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. Hello and welcome to the program. So here's the big question. What are you here for? What's your life for? It's a tough one, isn't it? The answer not always easy to put into words. When you get to your deathbed, how will you know whether you've lived a fulfilling life if you haven't ascertained what your life purpose actually was? Tonight, Dr. Corbett begins a series of discussions that may well change your life. Basing his discussions on Rick Warren's book, A Purpose Driven Life, Dr. Corbett explores the importance of and the process of finding purpose and meaning for life. So settle into an easy chair and be prepared to be inspired and challenged. Let's join Dr. Corbett now for the first in his series on finding purpose and meaning for life. Let's pray. Father, we, we want to hear from you. Lord, there are people here today and there are people within the sound of my voice who don't, who don't necessarily know you or what you're about or how to know you or how to connect with you. But I pray that as a result of today, we may do. We may hear your voice and allow the word of God to not only speak into our lives, but to transform our lives. I pray for this. In Jesus' name. We want to look at finding purpose and meaning for life. This actually is a, this is probably one of the biggest issues any of us will ever have to address. You know, there are some people throughout history, like, for example, Abraham Lincoln, who, during the, the height of the Civil War, the American Civil War, he was able to say that he could look back on all of the, the past events of his life, including... The, the very many ups and downs, more downs than ups that he had had and all those setbacks that he thought had derailed his life. And he was able to say as he, he was in the president's chair leading the, the Union armies against the, uh, the, the, the other opponents, the, 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 uh, what were known as the Rebs, and uh, he was able to say, all of my life has brought me a preparation for this moment. It was Winston Churchill who also had made some terrible blunders and Australians who understand the, the story of Anzac would know that it was uh, one Mr Winston Churchill who got the, the landing at Gallipoli kind of wrong which uh, impacted Australian history so tragically. And he was dismissed as War Secretary because of some of the, those and other mistakes that he made in World War I. And yet, he was given another opportunity. And as he was now the older Prime Minister in World War II, and uh, Adolf Hitler and Nazi uh, Germany declared war on Britain, he just said he knew what to do. And that amazing uh, speech that turned the heart of England after a, a bombing raid by the Nazis which declared war on England, where he got on the radio and, and he, he turned the heart of the nation. He turned the heart of a nation that didn't have weapons, didn't have a ready army, didn't have the resources to fight off the military might of Nazi Germany. But with one speech on the radio, he turned the hearts of England when he said, we will never give up. We will fight them on the beaches. We will fight them in the gutters, but we will never give up. And with that, he turned the hearts of England and he said, all of my life has been a preparation 
for this moment. He felt his life had a purpose. Now, while there are people who rise to prominence and they're able to share their stories of how they believed that God had been preparing their life for this purpose, there are countless unknown numbers of people who could also share the same type of experience. It's amazing how in everyday conversation I, I get to talk with people and, and, and in some way the, the, the topic of life preservation comes up where we, where we explore the issue of do you feel that there has been a time when your life has been spared for a purpose? And it's very, very difficult to find someone who hasn't at least had a glimpse of that in their life, where they could have been killed, they could be dead, but their life has been spared. And it causes questions. One of the greatest movies I've ever seen was an old black and white movie based on uh, the the great English writer, W. Somerset Maughan, who wrote the story The Razor's Edge. And it's a profound story of a man who is being foisted into the high end of business uh, just before the Great Depression. And there's a strange stirring in his heart that this isn't right. And at at that time, uh, uh, he joins the American army and goes off into World War I. And in World War I, the the very uh, coin that he had taken with him from his sweetheart and he put in his pocket was the coin that took a bullet and saved his life. And he took that as a sign, the coin representing the purpose of money, living for money, had been shot and yet it had saved his life. And he realised he was to live for something higher than money and it's a profound story. And many people have shared experiences like this where they felt their life has been spared for a purpose. But too few people discover what that purpose is. So I want to invite you to do just that over these next few weeks to explore what it means to find meaning and purpose in your life. Some people use the word coincidence. Many Christians prefer to use the word a God incidence. Does anything happen by chance or by accident? Is there really any such thing as luck? Is there? Is there any such thing as things just randomly happening without somebody somewhere orchestrating it? These are the questions that we need to explore because you are not an accident. You are not an accident. You are not here by accident. You're not listening or watching this by accident. There is, there is something going on in your life that has brought you to this point. How many lives have been transformed by one so-called chance happening or one so-called coincidence you are not an accident you are made for a purpose it says in ephesians 1 11, according to the message bible it says this it's in christ that we find out who we are and what we're living for long before we first heard of christ he had his eye on us 
He had designs on us for glorious living. Part of the overall purpose he is working out in everything and every one. You know, the average person has 25,550 hours to their life. I'm inviting you to spend the next few weeks. And when I shared this with Kim last night, she said, hang on, you've just said days. Now you're inviting people to spend weeks. Why don't you break that 25,550 down into weeks? So I did. I did the mental sum in my head. And it comes approximately to 3,786 weeks. That is approximate because that is a guess. But it sounds about right. We have three, about 3,786 weeks in our life that, on an average lifespan. And I'm inviting you just to spend a few of those, the next three or four, in exploring purpose and meaning for your life. You might like to read this book which we've referred to, and we're loosely basing many of the concepts on this book, Rick Warren's Purpose Driven Life. I encourage you to get this book and read it. It it won't do you any harm. 40 Days of Purpose, Rick Warren has called it, and we're inviting you to take the next 40 or so days to explore what does God want with your life? What does God want with your life? What is the purpose of my life? Because you were made for a purpose. And as we read in that Ephesians 1.11 passage, it says, even before we knew Christ, Christ had a plan and a purpose for our life. So for some, it might be a temptation to think that God only has a plan for Christians. That's not true. God has a plan for your life. He has a plan for your life. We could ask the question, as many do ask, what on earth am I here for? What on earth am I here for? What am I to do with my life? Proverbs 11.28 says, A life devoted to things is a dead life, a stump. A God-shaped life is a flourishing tree. And that's why we're going to be using the picture of a tree, a tree that's flourishing, a tree that's got roots that go down and have a foundation and give that tree a reason for being. A life focused on things is an empty or dead life. How many people think that their life is all about the things they have? How many people think that their life would be more enriched if they had more things? You know, I found it to be exactly the opposite. The more things I get, the more worried I become about those things. The more tempted I am to hit them when they don't work. It complicates life, you know. You ever, you ever actually found a device in a retrovision store that lived up to the claim, a time-saving device? It takes more time to program the things and try and get them working than it does in actually just doing it yourself. Things, they'll lead to a dead life. Now it says in Jeremiah 17 verses 7 and 8 in the New Living Translation, it says this. Blessed are those who trust in the Lord. They are like trees planted by a riverbank with roots that go down deep into the river. Such trees are not bothered by the heat or worried by long months of drought. Their leaves stay green 
and they go right on producing delicious fruit. That's how God describes our lives when we're living according to his purpose. But you see, it's possible, according to Proverbs 11, to not live according to his promise and end up having a dead, empty, shallow, hollow life. And we don't want that. And I don't want you to live that way at all. So we're going to start by looking at what are the basics? What, what, what do we have to do to figure out what life is all about and what we should be doing with our lives? What do we have to do? There was an atheist who was a professor of philosophy. His name was Bertrand Russell. He died some time back. And Bertrand Russell developed a, almost a hatred for Christianity very early on in his life. He despised Christians. He would do whatever he could to try and persuade those who were already Christians to give up their Christianity and to forsake God, forsake the Bible, forsake Christ and just live however they want. And he said this when challenged about, is that really the purpose for living? Just to do whatever you want? And Bertrand Russell was one of the uh, the people that contributed, I believe, to the Humanist Manifesto, which was a document that essentially was written uh, and then revised in the 1970s, was written fairly, fairly uh, early in the mid-20th century. And Bertrand Russell, along with another fellow by the name of Anthony Flew, wrote this document that said, there are no rights and wrongs, there's no point to life, do the best you can and make happiness your goal. Make happiness your goal and as long as you live in a way that you don't hurt anyone else, live your life. Now let's ask the question, is happiness a good goal? What is happiness? How can you really attain it? And how can you live a life where you can be guaranteed to do whatever you want and never hurt anyone else? They're reasonable questions. And when confronted with these questions, Bertrand Russell said this, Unless you assume a God, the question of life's purpose is meaningless. Because he believed we're all here by accident. He believed that we are accidents. But the Bible says, Jesus Christ affirmed it, we are not accidents. We're here for a purpose. We've been created by God. Jesus Christ claimed to be the creator the New Testament claims that Jesus was the creator. The New Testament says that God, through Jesus Christ, has designed you, built your life for a purpose. Bertrand Russell said, I don't believe it. The only way life can have any meaning or purpose is if that statement's true, that there is a God. And you know what? He's absolutely right. You know what that means? That means if you're trying to find any meaning or purpose for your life and you don't want to bring God into the equation, you will fail. It's as simple as that. Because if life has been designed, if you've been created, then that's where you get your purpose from. And if you remove God from the equation, you can only do what Bertrand Russell and Anthony Flew and these other thinkers said. That is, just do whatever you want. As long as you don't hurt anyone. And as long as you're pursuing happiness, you'll be okay. Interestingly, Anthony Flew 
Professor Anthony Flew, at the age of 81 years of age, in November 2004, abandoned atheism. He abandoned atheism when confronted with a Christian by the name of Greg Habermas, who had been debating with Anthony Flew on college campuses right across America, university campuses. And at the the end of the debate, Greg Habermas had made his case for God and Anthony Flew had said, there's no God, look at it. Why would there be evil in the world? Why would there be such, you know, things happening? If there was a God, surely a loving God would stop all these things. And Greg Habermas had an answer for all of those things. And sometimes the debates got quite heated. And so at the end of it, much to Anthony Flew's surprise, Greg Habermas would say, hey, you want to grab a meal together? You want to go and have a coffee together? And this went on for month after month after month. And it totally surprised Anthony Flew because the only Christians he'd met were arrogant, angry, hostile ones. Much like, you know who you are. And, uh, and so Greg Habermas was, was able to just get to know Anthony Flew. And the result was that Anthony Flew, having heard all the arguments for God, now saw the arguments for God. And with that, over lunch one day, the story goes, he said to Greg Habermas, you know, I've been thinking about some of the things you've been saying. You know how you say about all the evidence there is for there being a designer? And you know how they've just unlocked the human genome code and it's a language that's like so long, you could sort of map it out from here to a the next planet or something, it's so incredibly long. And if you just took one of those pieces of information out, none of it works. It all has to be in, in the exact order simultaneously. In other words, at the same time, you can't add it layer by layer. And Anthony Flew is a pretty bright guy. He, was, he said, I was thinking about that. He said, it's actually impossible, isn't it, for that to have just happened, isn't it? And Greg Habermas said, yeah, that's what I've been trying to tell you. He said... Yeah, you're right. There's too much evidence. There's way too much evidence for this just to be an accident. I have to now abandon atheism. And he now believes there must be a God. Now, Bertrand Russell created a lot of damage when he told people just to go and live however you wanted. You know, Colossians 1.16 says, For everything, absolutely everything, above and below, visible and invisible, rank after rank, after rank of angels, everything got started in him and finds its purpose in him. Colossians 1.16, out of the message translation. Where do we start to find life's meaning? How do you know? what you're alive for how do you know you know for some people they they think they should start with ourselves we start with ourselves and we ask the question well what do i want to do with my life but there's a better way to start and starting with god rather than ask the question what do i want to do with my life ask this question what does god want me to do with my life That's a much better starting point, isn't it? It's a much better starting point. There's a movie, and I can't quite recall which movie it's in, but I remember seeing it where this this couple are travelling through the deep south of uh, 
the United States, and, and they're lost. And they're trying to find this town. And the story goes something like this. A couple travelling in, in the deep rural depths, of, and we'll call it ethnic land, just so we don't offend anybody and possibly offend everybody, become lost. They come across an ethnic worker and ask him for directions to their destination. He thinks for a while and then says, uh, well, if, if I was going there, I sure wouldn't start from here. I'd go to over there and I'd start from there. And it's a funny scene in the movie and you can see what this guy is saying. He's saying, yeah, actually I don't know what he's saying. But essentially he's saying this, if I was going to go there, I wouldn't drive all the way here to get over there. And yet that's exactly what some people do in order to find purpose and meaning in life. They look for people who will satisfy their selfish ends, their, their, their self-interest. And essentially... Anybody who tells you that you'll be able to find meaning and purpose for your life by focusing on you is, is giving you a bum steer. They're not telling you the truth. And we have to know where to start. Like this southern yokel who said, well, if I was going to go there, I sure wouldn't start from here. And we have to know, well, where do we start from? Where do we start if we want to really get meaning and purpose for our life? Well, I, I'm convinced that God has a plan for your life. He has a purpose for your life. And I want to show you, hopefully throughout this, as we look at this, that you may never know exactly what colour shoes you should put on tomorrow. You may never know the exact purpose with the I's dotted and the T's crossed. And you should maybe never know exactly what's going to happen tomorrow and what you should do. But I can guarantee you this. You can know from what God has already said that there are five things, five things that all of us need to know in order to know that our life has purpose. And those five things, I'm guaranteed, if you commit your life to those five things, your life will be a life of purpose. You will live with purpose. You'll live with a sense of, yep, this is what I'm wired for. This is how I'm meant to live life. And those are the very things that Jesus Christ taught. They're the very things that God's word teaches. Those are the things that are going to unlock a sense of fulfillment in you. So let's begin to look at some of those things. In Acts 17, 26, in the Message Bible, it has the Apostle Paul going to these people who are thinkers. And he says to these people this, Starting from scratch, God made the entire human race and made the earth hospitable with plenty of time and space for living. Acts 17 verse 27. Listen to this. This is what he says. So we could seek after him and not just grope around in the dark, but actually find him. He doesn't play hide and seek with us. He's not remote. He's near. What's the very first aspect to knowing the purpose of your life? Is to know that you don't invent life's meaning. You don't invent it. You don't say, well, I think I'm going to do this, this with my life. It starts the other way around. 
you discover, you discover life's meaning. You discover it. Well, in discovering life's meaning, as we see from the scripture, where it says that God has ordained lives. It was the young Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 1 that God comes to and God says, before you were being formed in your mother's womb, I knew you and I ordained you and I set the course of your life. Well, we need to know what's the course of our life. In other words, what are the, what are the things that God wants us to be about? What are they? And it starts with that question. Finding purpose for your life starts with God. It starts with God. And for many of us, we struggle to hear God. We struggle to connect with God. We struggle to open up his word and allow it to speak with us. I'm going to close with this little story. I don't know if it happened or not. I wasn't there. But it goes something like this. Satan called a worldwide conference. In his opening address to his evil angels, his demons, he said, we can't keep Christians from going to church. We can't keep them from reading their Bibles and knowing the truth. We can't even keep them from forming an intimate, abiding relationship in Christ. The problem is, if they get and stay connected with Jesus, then our power over them will be broken. So this is what we must do. Let them go to church. Let them have a religious and conservative lifestyle. But let's steal their time. Distract them from gaining a hold of their saviour and maintaining that vital connection throughout their day. How shall we do this? The demons asked. To this question, Satan responded, keep them busy in non-essentials. Invent innumerable schemes to occupy their minds. Tempt them to spend, spend, borrow, borrow. Persuade their wives that it's important for them to work long hours. Tell the husbands the only way to afford their lifestyle is to work 12 hours a day, seven days a week. Don't allow them time to spend with their children. Make it that the only safe place, the home, will be destroyed as the family fragments. Overstimulate their mind so they can't hear the still, small voice of God. Entice them to listen to secular radio and CDs whenever they drive. Let them believe it's necessary to keep their TV, VCR, DVD, CD and computers constantly on in their homes. Make sure that every shop or restaurant they go into will always play music that will pollute their minds. Fill every coffee table and waiting room with scandalous and sad magazines and newspapers pound their minds with news 24 hours a day, invade their driving time with hundreds of billboards, flood their post boxes with junk mail, catalogues, and every kind of promotion offering free products, services, and false hopes. Also, don't forget the skinny, beautiful models. Put them on everything, every magazine cover, so that the husbands will believe that external beauty is what's more important. If you do this, it won't be long before they'll become dissatisfied with their wives. Even in their recreation, let them be excessive. 
Have them return from their holidays exhausted, disquieted and unprepared for the coming week. Don't let them go out in nature to reflect on God's wonders. Send them to amusement parks, sporting events, concerts, movies instead. Keep them busy, 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 even in church. There's much that can be done. When they meet for spiritual fellowship, involve them in gossip and small talk so they leave with troubled consciences and unsettled motions. Go ahead. Let them be involved in soul winning, but crowd their lives with so many good causes that they have no time at all to seek the power that comes from Jesus. Soon they'll be working in their own strength, sacrificing their health and family for the good of the cause. He concluded the conference by exclaiming these six words. And Satan said to his demons, it will work, I promise you. Wow. Is it any wonder we don't know how to start with God when so many other things cloud and crowd our hearts and minds? Maybe as we embark on this journey, there's something in you that says, I've got to get back to God. I've got to get back to him. Let's pray. Eyes closed, heads bowed. Let's just take this moment. To pause. And Father, I pray that you would indeed speak to each one of us. There are so many things that cloud and crowd. There are so many strains upon us financially, relationally, employment, school, recreationally. There are so many things that just want to rob us of that stillness with you. Because it starts with you. Finding meaning and purpose starts with you. And perhaps you're here and you've heard what's been shared and something of God's spirit has spoken to your heart. I invite you right now to begin to open your heart and begin to ask God to come into your life and reveal himself to you. Perhaps, Christian, you're here and you know that your relationship with God is not what it should be. Things have clouded and crowded the voice of God and the presence of God and the power of God out of your life. It's time to come home. It's time to come back to God. And so, Father, I pray that each one of us would have hearts that are still and open before you. Please, Lord, speak to each one of us, I pray. Help us to understand your purpose and the meaning of life. In Jesus' name, amen. Finding purpose and meaning for life. If you've ever wondered whether this is all there is to life, then you may very well be struggling with your life's purpose and meaning. It all begins with God. I encourage you to stay with us as Dr. Corbett continues to explore this topic over the coming weeks. If you'd like to listen again to tonight's program or refer it to a friend, you may like to purchase a CD copy for $5.50, including postage and handling. Just contact Lagana Media at P.O. Box 1143, Lagana, Tasmania, 7277. Please quote the program title, Finding Purpose and Meaning, Session 1. Finding Truth Matters resources are also available via the website at www.findingtruthmatters.org. If you'd like to subscribe to Finding Truth Matters monthly e-newsletter Perspectives, visit findingtruthmatters.org and click subscribe. 
Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett is a production of Lagana Media. We look forward to joining you at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.